XX Equals is a focused, user-centered innovation collective within Canadian Ford, and this is our podcast. Our aim is to close the gap between perception and reality when designing for women. So jump in and join us as we talk to some of the leaders, experts, and trailblazers in this space. Hello and welcome to XX Equals podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Sophie Patel. And Sophie, we have um, we've done some work together at KD and XX Equals, and you're also um, a very vital part of our. EDE scheme, which is around ethnic diversity excellence and supporting uh, an ethnic diverse mix of individuals who are coming into the industry sort of uh, post-graduation during their final year in university. So um, huge thank you and props to you for the support that you've given for that scheme, because that's that's hugely important, I know, to, to both of us. Maybe, Sophie, you could just start today by kicking off and telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your career to date. Yeah, of course. And thanks for having me today, Mel. But um, yeah, so I kind of know Katie throughout my my kind of career so far through multiple different um, ways. But actually, when you invited me to part of your Eid uh, group, it was a moment in time for me to say, oh, actually, I think this is really important to me and really put my hand up and say yes I really want to part of that opportunity and I think it's the start of something amazing but a, a bit about me my name is Sophie Tell my pronouns are she and her um, I'm a second generation British Indian living in the multifaceted Leicester in the Midlands um, and I'm in my early 30s so that that bit's quite important to my identity at the moment because um, I think it's a real crux point of deciding who I am what I stand for, um, where I'm actually going to choose to put my energy as well. I think that's a big thing for me. Um, and also having boundaries to say no to things and throwing myself into new things. So Eid was kind of a part of that for me. Um, I came into education, um, well, I came out of education with an industrial design degree from Loughborough University, um, which now looking back has really shaped about how I problem solve and how I think about the interconnected nature of things. Um, and I brought that out throughout all of my roles in my career, really. So it's just the way of thinking that that has taught me has really kind of differentiated how I would approach things in, in my day-to-day roles, I would say. Um, but my career has largely been focused in kind of SMCG and beauty and personal care. So predominantly in the space of packaging, although the packaging landscape's evolving, packaging, product design, maybe they're one of the same these days. Um, but I started off in hair care as part of the P&G um, as a packaging technologist. And for those who don't know what a packaging technologist is, it's um, basically designing and developing packaging um, for different products and basically acting as a bit of an intersection between kind of really technical engineering and brand marketing. So that's kind of where I've come from. And I'll put my hand up and say I fell into that. I didn't, (laughs) that wasn't the plan. Um, But yeah, I I didn't stay in industrial design past um, education, which is an interesting thing in itself. Um, From there, I went to work in tea bags at Unilever, which was actually really, really interesting and, and something that you don't really put too much thought into. Um, on your day-to-day as a consumer but actually in the background behind of that it was really really interesting about kind of the semiotics of how you elevate such a day-to-day product Um, and then I went to work for Boots well what was then Boots the Chemist so uh, still working as a packaging technologist and working lots of different brands but predominantly on a brand called Soap and Glory which was founded by the 
the most excellent human, Marcia Kilgore. If you don't know her, definitely check her out. She does lots of podcasts and interviews. But she was a kind of like a key figure in my kind of FMCG life about how you probably didn't have to do FMCG in the traditional way. And she always challenged the status quo. And the way that she challenged things has really stuck with me in my FMCG roles. Um, and I actually went to her new kind of venture in Beauty Pie in London, um, which is her new thing, which is definitely another one to check out. Um, but I am actually back at Walgreens Boots Alliance. So um, I work as part of a company called Number 7 Beauty Company, and I work in a research team um, as a prototyping manager. So predominantly focused on packaging, but more total thinking about total product and design and bringing that into bringing the science um, in the translation of that science into products. And which part of your job, Sophie, do you enjoy the most? What are you most passionate about? So for me, it's this, where is it going next? The the bit that really gets me up and going um, is kind of the ideation, the pulling the consumer insights into actual tensions and working on problem solving off the back of that. Um, we've just been doing a four day kind of workshop at the moment. And I felt my energy has been so different in that versus my day to day versus when I would have been writing a spec or um, kind of doing some more technical details. And that tells me about kind of what my preference is. But the bit that really gets me up and going in the morning is talking to different consumers and translating that into problems for us to solve. That's really, really fascinating. And Sophie, you touched on when you were talking about your education. And this is particularly front of mind for me because I was having a similar conversation yesterday with um, with another very smart and informed woman. And um, she, she studied industrial design and she talked about how she knew before she even graduated that actually something happened in those those university years and she she knew when she left that she wasn't going to go on and actually become an industrial designer so obviously that's her experience but but what was yours when you left university why did you not pursue that so I actually think that if I'm honest the way I approached my final year was um instead of working on problems that I was really passionate about I worked on the problem that I thought would get me the best results um and I kind of it was a bit of a tick box for me and I kind of lost my energy and passion and now looking back at it I really understand that I really have to be passionate about something that I'm working on for me to really give my whole self otherwise I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of person so I think the right types of problems for the right people was really important but I also think very practically um, when I came out of university, the job market was interesting and there was a lot of free placements in London, which, if I'm honest, I just couldn't afford. It wasn't even an option. So I knew I had to get a wage and I knew that I was happy to move anywhere and kind of set up my life in somewhere brand new. So that kind of really focused on what kind of uh, jobs that I was looking at. And because I'd done a placement in um, my university, which actually I think is the most important if you are a graduate at the moment, take all of the opportunities to do placements um, you never know where they're going to lead you but that was kind of my springboard into starting my career. That's, yeah that's I think we we uh, definitely agree on a huge number of points on that and I think that passion um, is absolutely central so I always quote I was bang on about there's a, a book called Good to Great by a chap called Jim Collins and he talks about these three intersecting circles in terms of how you define what you know whether it's what you should do or what your business should do or however how you're looking at it and he talks about what drives your commercial engine so essentially what pays the bills 
what could you be best in the world at? Yeah. So, you know, what's your skill set going to deliver? And the third and the most important is what, in my view, is what are you passionate about? And if you can find that intersection of those three areas that can pay your bills, you can be brilliant at it and you're passionate about it, then I think you're probably doing better than the vast majority of people in the working world. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a hard thing to do, right? But that sounds really hard. Like really, really, really hard. sums it up really well. And I guess there's some there's some brilliant sort of thoughts and experiences there that you'll be able to feed into the EDE program as well, working with our final year students that are part of that Absolutely. in terms of how they they approach that final year. But I, I couldn't agree more with the the advice in there, which is, you know, you've got to do for final year project, if we've got students listening, follow your passions, even if people are telling you, oh, it's, a, you know, it's a saturated area or too many people are looking at that. Or if that's what you are passionate about, you yeah. can bring a point of difference to it. And whether that's through your product or through your brand or through your tone of voice or whatever it is, you can bring that point of difference. So it's important to think about that. So Sophie, tell me a little bit about um, your experiences in terms of the fields that you're working with, with um, gender equality and um, and actually, I guess, diversity from a much broader perspective as well. How has that? How have you found that through your 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 sort of working experience to date? I think the only way that I can kind of explain is it is I kind of was a version of myself at work. Um, I wasn't I wasn't quite fully myself. I was, people probably thought I was, probably was on the outside very much. Um, I was a packaging technologist like everyone else. But actually what I found is when I brought the kind of, the woman side of me to the role and actually um, empathized with the consumers and could build that into my work. And then I brought my um, ethnic kind of perspective into that role. Actually the quality of my output was so much more um and I had something to say and it was important and it was a kind of a different point of view that wasn't in the room and so actually once I started bringing my full self to work not just one side of me that's when I've actually seen my quality of work go up my the passion towards my work my connected to my work both inside and outside of work my relationships have improved everything has got better once I've brought my full self into that conversation um and so actually there's something in that about we talk about diversity quite a lot, but it but it isn't just about diversity. It's about like full inclusion um, into into workplaces and into into just friendship groups and into networks and your kind of friends, your neighbours, your school, your any environment that you're in. Allowing people to bring their full self into that is is huge. It's huge. It really is, and it's funny. Um, I think. You have to create a safe environment to enable people to do that, don't you? You have to create that that environment where they know they are, you know, that people can truly bring themselves. Because I think if you can create that sort of trusted, safe environment, and then you can empower people to to lead within that and to to you know make their make their own decisions and feel capable to do that. And I, I know there's lots of statistics around if you don't have good you know whether it's gender balance or uh, you know from a, a ethnic diversity or whatever it is we're talking about you yeah. you don't enable those environments and therefore you even if you've got the people in the room I think it's a really good point Sophie even if you've got those people in the room you can't you're not going to get the best out of those people yeah definitely 
I think I think it's it's um, it's very central, particularly um, whilst it's it's so front of mind with a lot of businesses now. Um, but it's yeah, it's not about it's not just about getting them in the room. It's about creating the environment for them to 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 thrive. And Sophie, now I know this is something you're looking at in number seven as well. So. And maybe this is probably too big a question to answer in a podcast, but how do you think we can start collectively building a more equitable future within the spheres that we're talking about in terms of design and and um, development? That, um, I guess, I, I do like your word and your very intentional word of equity instead of just inclusion. I think that's really important. Um, but I think having the people in the room is really important and in the decision makers and that that works with employing the right people having networks with the right people but also more importantly knowing when to pass the mic to those people as opposed to speak on behalf of them um and so i think really bringing equitable um kind of design to the forefront it's actually sometimes passing the mic um to those, to those people and elevating and amplifying as opposed to saying we think this needs to be addressed and we're going to answer it and you'll see it time and time again when men design female products and um when people i guess it's quite prevalent in the beauty industry actually but when an all-white team develops a beauty product for uh, different types of skin tones so actually the first part is just getting those teams really diverse at all different levels is really important as well um, and making sure that you keep creating the environment where all of those people can contribute um, truly and it will naturally come out and I think I was reading a really interesting example of this going back in history I was thinking when did all this start when did the benefits of kind of uh, different perspectives come into this um, and there was a guy called Sakadine Bahamid um, and he actually brought shampooing to Britain which you never you never hear about that, but it stems from um, kind of Indian head massage. So he basically did medicated treatments based on Indian head massage to treat like gout problems or digestive problems, but all through this kind of Indian head massage thing. And we and it's just something that we take for granted today. Like every single day or every other day, we'll wash our hair, and every single product has every single person has a shampoo bottle in there. But actually, it came from a different perspective being introduced. And so actually that's that's the benefit in us of having teams with different diverse perspectives is that you just connect dots quicker. You don't connect dots kind of like better for everyone. And it's not just focused on that small demographic of people who are going to kind of benefit from that. Actually, it just makes it easier and better for everybody once you focus in on those kind of more marginalised areas, I would guess. There's so much, isn't there, that we can learn by looking backwards as well as looking forwards. I think there's often there's such a rush in terms of you know, what's the, the next innovation? What's the next te technology, particularly within personal care markets, actually? Mm -hmm. And and often it's like you say, it's about looking back and understanding. And I think that's on, on a number of levels in terms of, of the the intention behind where those, those products have come from and what we can learn from that. But equally, mm -hmm. you know, as well as I do in sort of developing as we have new products and and new ideas that often actually just by going back and seeing what's been done historically sometimes it's just that the timing isn't right yeah, for that particular so particular development and actually or maybe a stakeholder changes and suddenly everything changes in from that perspective as well 
yeah there is it's always worth keeping hold of those things that you do in the past isn't it because they probably I think circle back around. definitely most packaging technologists have got a few prototypes in their bottom drawer haven't they <laughs> yeah. they, they just every time every time they get a new boss they come back out and go yeah have you seen this <laughs> a white box that goes on the top shelf and every new person that comes in i wheel them out <laughs> Exactly. And and the thing is, it's the tenacity of that, Sophie, which will probably probably be some of uh, number seven's best selling products in the next few years. So I shall I shall watch eagerly. But um, I mean, obviously, we all know at various stages in our career, there's really challenging bits as well, isn't there? And um, and I think you're such a brilliant example of, of someone who has that degree of self-awareness in terms of, of you know, what they want to do and, and what you were talking about in terms of that, that point being in your early 30s and looking at the various pathways that have been, that are now open in front of you and the choices that you have. But equally, we learn a lot from the challenges that we've encountered and how we've reacted to those. And I think it's really important to talk about that as well, um, because, you know, we don't... Otherwise, there's there's this self-perpetuating myth, isn't there, that we all get up at five o'clock to a yoga class, you know, pack our, you know, families off to, you know, their various schools or whatever or, or work jobs and, and, you know, and then manage to cram in a 12-hour day before cooking a three-course meal. So what what do you, that doesn't happen in my house, what do you, what, what do you Sophie, um, what, you know, what do you feel are some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered? So um, I actually think my most my biggest challenges have also been my most rewarding, like absolutely. Um, and I think it also starts with sometimes doing something that you're not really comfortable with um, and you're unsure. So there's I would say that's been like a key thing that's gone throughout my 10 or so years um, in a post education, I guess. Um, and the first thing that really sticks out for me is that my first job at P&G I was naive. I had the audacity of youth. I was, you know what? Yeah, I can do that, whatever. Um, thought I would just throw myself in. But it's the best thing that I could have done. And um, there was a there was a particular quality issue at the time where there was bottles and print coming off and it was horrific and everyone was running around. And they said, could you investigate this? Um, and yeah, I was like, yeah, sure. Did all my bits, did what I thought was best, read the procedures, spoke to people. And speaking to people was the biggest thing in me kind of working out what to do. But I ended up speaking to VPs and directors about the problem and how we were going to solve it. And in my head, that wasn't a big thing until afterwards, where everyone was like, oh, my God, you presented to the VP. And then I got an award and they were like, oh, yeah, because within three months of the company, you did this. And, and it wasn't a big thing, but it threw me into a position where hierarchy has kind of not really been that much of a thing for me. I respect hierarchy and I understand that's how you execute things and the importance of it. But actually the day-to-day um, kind of working and speaking to all those different people at all different um, places on the ladder has actually stayed with me throughout all of my roles, I would say. And it's been the biggest thing that has helped me and also helped my managers um, kind of helping them do what they need to do, being aware of what they're trying to do um, and kind of being able to feed into that just because I was like, hi, do you want to have a conversation about this? And they were like, yes. <laughs> um, and then most recently, the biggest example of that was when the kind of when George Floyd's murder happened I kind of spoke to my director and I was like are you going to say anything because you, your silence is telling me a lot and I'm the I was the only person of colour I think in in my team at that time and he was like oh he was like well if I wanted to it didn't cross my radar 
Um, but actually, he sort of said this, and, and that's a big thing for me as well, to go to a director, someone very senior to me, and say, you know, this thing that is not to do about work, but it's huge and affecting me. Are you going gonna to say anything about it? Um, and he did. Um, but actually, that conversation has led to so many different things without within my business. And now I sit on a racial equity board as part of the M7 Beauty Company, where we're really trying to move things and change things and having some success as well. Um, a lot of way to go. But it all started with these non-hierarchical conversations. Um, and I actually lead a kind of group called the We Continuously Learn Pillar now. And there are lots of different hierarchies within that. There are directors, there are people just starting their career, but we also talk on a equal playing field. And some of them are in the US and some of them are in the UK and we disagree on a hell of a lot. And we agree on a hell of a lot. Um, but there's this one thing kind of as a, as a string that's keeping us all together. And those conversations are probably the safest environments that we ever have. But that's because there's lots of different people and hierarchies gone out the window. So I think that's kind of really, really important. I think that's that's absolutely important. And it's it was brought home to me recently, um, your point, because we try and describe, you know, we try and sort of strive for a non-hierarchical, you know, we're we're not quite the same size as number seven, but um we, we don't want a hierarchy, you know, I don't have, a, I don't have, I don't even have a desk, let alone an office, you know, and I kind of go plonk myself down wherever. And actually, it was that way before hot desking and COVID. And um, it's been that way for a long time. But um, we recently had a team member who'd come from quite a big, very hierarchical organisation. And I'd, I'd had a number of meetings with him. And, um, and I tried to sort of explain this to him. Um, but it's, it's interesting because obviously he joined during lockdown mm -hmm. and as a result he didn't see us all in the office you know and the amount of abuse that I get from my team so and the kind of the lack of hierarchy that goes with that yeah um and and the kind of openness and we talk about being open and challenging in our values but equally um because he hadn't seen that he was still stuck in this this old sort of you know very hierarchical yeah. frame of mind uh, so it's 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 really interesting how I completely agree with your point I think if you can step away from that it's massively empowering and actually everybody it, they're just a person they just exactly. have their own shit to deal with they have um you know they're still all there thinking you know oh, what's for dinner and and how am I going to kind of get everything done by the end of the day yeah. um you know, they all have, we all have the same worries, but I, and going back to that point you, you talked about earlier, it's this bringing yourself to work and this compassion that, that, that can really help focus that because otherwise we end up all presenting this facade and all you actually see is what people want you to see. And that's my issue with social media, um, mm. but that's a whole nother topic <laughs> because it, it puts this pressure on people to, um, yeah. And it paints these these you know it's 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 you know false imagery of of what these people's lives are like when actually the reality is if you got to walk in their shoes for a day, yeah, it it, it ain't what the picture says. So it's um, vulnerability, you know. isn't it? Like, yeah. And I've seen that with leaders, and I've I've seen that. I mean, you role you role model it amazingly well. Like, and the non hierarchy comes through, and I think that's something that I've always seen seen with you for sure. But I think this vulnerability in leadership is something that's changing things. Like it feels like it's actually making a difference and these are humans. And like for complete transparency, we like rescheduled this call, didn't we? Because I was like, I can't 
I can't do this today. I don't feel very confident. I feel really anxious about this. And that's the reality. Like, there's a podcast going out, I'm very confident and empowering, but behind the scenes, we've, we've rescheduled it to make sure it's the right time for us. Yeah, and, and you know, it reminds me, there was, a, there was a day last April in 2020, my mother-in-law had, um, had, had reasonably quick illness and, um, and passed away of cancer. And obviously we were in the first lockdown then, and my husband had had to go down and, and care for her because she, what, she'd, had, she'd been sent home from hospital because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, so him and his sister were caring for her. And, um, and then she passed away. And we have our regular team meetings every, um, every couple of weeks when we were all in full lockdown with everybody in the business. And, um, and it was, it, and her funeral, which obviously only I couldn't go to, it was just my husband and his brother and his sister and his dad. So it was just the four of them there happened um, on the same day. And I remember, um, I remember bringing my kids into that meeting because I was at home on my own with them and they weren't obviously at school and and you know I remember one of them sitting on my lap you know and I was kind of explaining to the team why why they were there because there was this really sad day that we couldn't be together as a family and and I think you know in I mean it, you know, it's still really upsetting to think about what that day was but I think that's the mark of how close a team are. And when we're yeah. all just leaves on the same tree and we can all bond together. And I think even though we've had these, these challenges with communication throughout lockdown and, and particularly with the, the new indu- inductions and how we can continue and, and really embed our, our ethos and our values equally, you know, th- it has kind of ripped the, the plaster away from the fake you know kind of facade hasn't it it's like I'm really sad today team and my kids are really sad and there's a funeral that I can't be at and I didn't see um, Joyce before she passed away because of the situation we're all living in so these are the things that are happening to all of us um, and you know let's let's celebrate the wins and and mourn the sadness together Um, and I think if we can collectively keep some of that honesty and transparency going forward then we will have all gained something from covid i mean thanks for like sharing that that's obviously very personal and i'm sorry to hear that that you had to go through that but i think there's um there was a really interesting thing that we were talking about as part of our workshop this week which was a maltesers advert and i think it was like the highest performing advert during lockdown um but it was like a teams video call and it was about all the conversations people have before meetings um, and that's where like you know the kids have done this I don't know drawing that they're very obviously very proud of and everyone's just like mm-hmm <laughs> or like all these like little moments of conversations that you've had before meetings and there's something in that that has forced that to happen versus us just going to a meeting room 9am we've got to get in 9 like we've got to get out by before the next team meeting and we've lost all of that so actually for a lot of teams I think kind of this moment in lockdown has really changed things I know that a lot of the stuff I've done, I've done online. I never would have stood up in a room and done them. But actually on a screen that's been a bit more accessible for me. I was I was going to ask you about that, Sophie, in terms of, of how your working practices have changed and your ways of working and, and whether you see that as a positive or negative. I think a bit of both. So I actually get a lot more done working from home. 
and um, I also benefit from ad hoc conversations with people like I'm very much someone who likes to talk stuff through and I'm very visual as well so actually me using my dining room table hasn't been the best way for me to really like organize my thoughts and kind of right throw this out the window I just need to take it apart and I just need to put it back together again um, so there's really been pros and cons and this kind of workshop that I keep referring to was 40 people in a room and it was a total different we got so much more done together as a team that being said I am also going in on days where I feel like I should go in and everybody individually sits on different teams calls and it's a very it's not a very great environment to do that because everyone's having different conversations in close proximity together so there's it's almost like we just need to be what the based on the work that needs to get done what is the right place for us to do that and if we start thinking about it in that way I actually think and that's facilitated by flexible working practices and teams that kind of know how to work towards each other but that that could be the something that changes everything about the way we work together and really optimizes our time and gives us back time and, and gives us the flexibility that we need but also the better team kind of networking that we need to do as well. It's really interesting. I think we're seeing something similar. And actually, it's it's how do you, what you're describing is how do we make work a destination for collaboration? Yeah. How do we, how do we make people want to come in here and use the space when, um, when that's going to be the most valuable? And it's, you're actually, you're making me think as you're saying this, Sophie, because we as a business sort of said, you know, people come in a, a few days a week, but actually I'm thinking now, do we need to be more flexible in terms of, of actually putting that into people, you know, I mean, we're not hugely prescriptive. We also turned around and said, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. And you can just, yeah. you know, um, just let us know. Um, but it's interesting. I think it's going to be a really iterative process, isn't it? We've got to be super flexible and adaptive in terms of how we work and, and how we take it forward. And just being aware, I think, isn't, you know, as you are as, as to kind of how those experiences work for you. Yeah, I think there's something in actually kind of not being too selfish in it as well. So understanding how different people in your team work and doing the best thing to do that piece of work. So uh, so I know in, in my team, um, the, the woman I work with actually really benefits from us being together. And so it's really important for me to go in and to do that, not for me, but for the benefit of the team and the work that needs to get done. And, and we've done a lot of look like colour thinking and I know it's very corporate and kind of puts... <laughs> But in its premise, what it's trying to get to is that different people work in different ways. And actually, we need to facilitate a conversation where all of those people can contribute. And that includes giving reflection time versus the kind of spontaneity ideas and the wrap up. And the, there's so much work that goes into preparing for those things and setting up for those kind of conversations and managing it and wrapping it up. But actually, maybe thinking about us as a team versus an individual in isolation trying to get individual work done is I think the thing that will make or break teams in the in the next phase that we're going into where it is this hybrid way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a, that's a really important point. Sophie, I, you and I, we could just sit here all day and talk about all of this. However, I am conscious of time. So there is one more question I wanted to ask you because, you know, you are an incredibly self-aware person and you, you've been on a journey to date. So what do you think you would have said to to your your graduate self in terms of of what that next decade was going to look like? What advice would you have given yourself? I think that having a plan is not a bad thing. 
Um, I thought I had to have a five-year plan and I was going to tick it off and go on a journey. Absolutely not. And the more and more I talk to people, so speak to colleagues at all different levels, speak to external people, entrepreneurs, businesses, all types of people. A lot of people sort of said, oh, I was nudged into this or I fell into it. And actually, there's a massive thing in just saying, like putting your hand up for something and saying, yeah, I'll take it. I'll try it. And the, the key word being try and seeing if it's right for you, not for the benefit of anyone else, but for the benefit of yourself. So I would definitely say put your hands up for things, especially in your early career and expose yourself to so many different things. Talk to talk to everybody, um, speak at all different levels, all different ethnicities, all different abilities, all different genders, uh, all different communities. Um, and just start putting your hands up for things to try them out. And I think if I'd more intentionally done that, I, I don't know where I would I would be. But I think where I am, where I am now has been because of those moments where I've just sort of said, yeah, OK, I'll give it a go. Thank you so, so much, Sophie. And if any of our listeners today want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? On LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. Absolutely happy to speak to anyone um, on that. And my email address is on there anyway. So. Um, Fantastic. Sophie, it has been an absolute pleasure Um you are wise beyond your years. I always love having a conversation with you. So I am very much looking forward to a point where um, we're able to do this face to face in the near future as well. I'll definitely hold you to that. <laughs> definitely. Thank you to our listeners. You've been listening to Sophie Patel and Merle Hall um, of KD XX Equals. Um, thanks again for listening and join us again soon. Bye bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening, please rate, review and subscribe and keep your eyes peeled for our next episode.